Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by employee engagement expert and strategist, Lisa Ryan. Lisa helps organizations develop employee engagement initiatives and strategies that keep their top talent and best clients from becoming someone else's. She's an award-winning speaker and best-selling author of eight books. Her focus is on strengthening workplace culture, improving employee engagement, and initiating gratitude strategies strategies for personal and professional transformation. Lisa's down-to-earth approach and willingness to share best practices have proven to be a winning formula for her national and international audiences. She holds an MBA and currently serves as president of the National Speakers Association Ohio chapter. I've asked her to join us today to talk about team building, keeping our best clients, and careers in professional speaking. So, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time today. How are you doing? I am doing just fantastic. Thanks. What? what? Ah, Lisa, it's your birthday. <laughs> we, we just went through that before the call. I was, Anyways, everyone's seen The Simpsons. They know what I'm talking about. So, Lisa, obviously you've accomplished a lot. You're a role model for a lot of women. You are a leader. You're a mover and a shaker. And you're also really focused on deepening relationship roots, I think, and building and like have a long-term point of view to things. But you weren't always like this, I imagine. You didn't always have eight books. You weren't always president of the National Speakers Association. So how did you even first get started? Like, were you, did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you have a business as like a, as a kid and a teenager? Kind of where, what's your, what's, where'd you come from? Where'd this, hap- how'd this happen? Boy, that's kind of funny. You know, I have been basically selling my whole life. That's so funny that you asked because I really hadn't thought about it. When I was four years old, I was helping the neighborhood kid with his paper route, getting into being five and six with brownies and Girl Scouts and cookies. And I, I remember doing readathons <laughs> and writeathons, uh, you know, walkathons and all these things that we did. And I remember thinking, that, you know, I'd be really good in sales, but Mm. I would never do that because it's just an ulcer job. (laughs) (laughs) I went into corporate America and Mm. I was in corporate America for a long time, making great money, making a great salary. And then I decided that it was time to go to sales and go into sales. And I remember I told my dad because I was, it was my first job as an executive recruiter. It was a draw against commission, mm. uh, straight commission position. Very. And I, I told my father and he was just, what do you think you're doing? You know, that's feast or famine. Why yeah. would you want to go into sales? And there was so much fear around that. And so it took me a while longer to build my sales career. And then after 20 years of doing that, I just, the light bulb kind of went on and it's like, you know, corporate America is not where I want to be. And well, they kind of helped it by eliminating my, 
my uh, position via group conference call with 12 of us getting canned at the same time. Wow. (laughs) That made the decision, but my company was born on that day, October 12th, 2010, and I have never looked back. That is awesome. That is so awesome. Good for you. And sometimes you need a forcing function in your life to push you. You know, if your hands are full, they're not open to receive something new. So, and it can be, it can be really scary. That's for sure. Now, I love what you mentioned though, because we talked about sales and I kind of want to talk about this for a minute because for a lot of people listening, they're in a business, they're in a sales or marketing position. And I think a lot of us have or, or have to overcome this. I don't know where it comes from, but this, and it's, well, actually I know where it comes from, but this, this mentality that sales are bad or sales are, you know what I mean? It's scary. It's hard and it's a grind. Can you speak to that at all? Like what have you learned in your years? You know what? I have always been very proud of my profession being in sales and even though I'm an entrepreneur and I have a full-time speaking business I am still in sales every single Mm -hmm. day I was at an event last night and I was talking to an attorney and I and she said something derogatory about sales because she asked me what my career was and I told her sales and you know I I forget what the comment was a little bit flippant and I looked at her I said you're in sales too Mm mm-hmm And she paused for a minute. I said, how are you getting clients? And then she looked at me. She said, you know, actually, my job is to sell the jury and the judge to my client's Mm -hmm. point of view. Mm -hmm. And I said, right there, it's sales. It's a very proud profession. And I know that there are certain aspects of it, used car salesmen and stuff that almost Mm -hmm. become a, a cartoon in themselves. But if you look at the fact that we're all in sales, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're married, you had to sell <laughs> your spouse that you were the ideal partner. That's right. Know? That's right. We're constantly selling. And, you know, I mentioned it in your bio there, but, you know, you sell to get a client. You have to keep selling that client. You have to keep selling that client to stay in the relationship. Everything is sales. Sales is a very noble profession because it's not – I think it gets a, ra- a bad rap from people who don't know how to do it. You know, we just talked about earlier how I launched a beta program and I just put one post on Facebook and, and within 30 minutes I had two people that had paid and, you know, I've been bombarded by leads and that's that's sales. But it wasn't, you, you know, I'm not trying to force something on someone that they don't want. It really is, sales really is just about helping and I, and I made a joke about this guy Eeyore that I've been calling but because he's really got, he has a mental hurdle he has to overcome and that's sales, talking to him. That I can't force anyone to do anything, right? But leading them to something that you know will help them. If someone is suffering from arthritis and you have the pain medicine or something that can cure arthritis, you know, there's no, there's nothing wrong. Like you, you really should, anyone that's listening to this that feels that they get stuck in that respect, you, I think what you said before is important that you're so proud of what you do. I think that's so important that you have a pride in what you do because then you can be an evangelist for it. And then you don't mind, if people don't get it, that's fine. And you're like, whatever. Okay. But I think, I know this is the best thing since sliced bread. And then you don't have any qualms about trying to convince someone that they should benefit it from because really, you know, if, if your product or service delivers what it, it says it should, then you should have no guilt about trying to get people to do it if they have the problem that your business solves. A dentist would never feel guilty about collecting money from someone so we can give them – do some work on their tooth so it can stop the pain. You know, a doctor's never going to feel guilty about taking money from you so they can, you know, re- reset your broken arm so you can go back to get it'll heal and you can go back to work like that sort of thing. And I, again, I think it's got a, a bad rap from people that either did it wrong or took advantage of people. I think that's probably it more than anything else. Right. And it's the willingness to be able to walk away. I mean, just mm. like we were talking about with Eeyore. 
he either makes the decision to come on board or you're willing to walk away. And then you're then you're not getting into that ethics because six months later, Eeyore coming back and say, well, you forced me to do this. Yeah, Dude, no. I did nothing like that. It yeah. was your choice. These are the benefits that I'm providing to you. And if you don't want them, I don't have to give them to you. If you're willing to walk away because – you know that what you're offering is a benefit to that person's life. And if it's not a benefit, you shouldn't be offering it. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had since stepping out and coming into doing your own business since that day you launched October? What was it? October or something? October 12th, 2010. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? And congratulations, by the way. I mean, oh, they say most you. of the businesses don't last three to five years. You've obviously squashed that goal like nothing. So. Right. You know what? There's a, I think that getting into the habit of knowing that you're not doing this alone. I very early on enrolled the help of working with coaches. I took training programs. I invested a lot. I think that if the decision hadn't been made for me, the one thing that I tell people is please don't quit your day job to become an entrepreneur unless you have quite a bit of money set aside because we look at it and actually I just ran into it yesterday at this event I was speaking at a woman came up and she was asking me all about speaking she was all excited wanted to do what I did and I I just had a feeling that she thought that because it looked like speaking was a free business that it would be really easy because obviously there's a very low barrier to entry. You mm. can speak mm -hmm. <laughs> right. and you can get in front of a group, but it's making a living from that. And when I started to share some of the things that I've done, you know, being a, a professional member of the National Speakers Association, the dues I pay for that, the dues I pay for the chapter, that alone was enough to blow her out of the water. Right. But I know by the investments that I made in myself, I have have cut my learning curve by years right. because it, it's not my experience. I'm learning from the experience of others, which is the very best experience to have. Right. They say the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land. You know, that's why I love, I love books and I'm, a, I'm just like you. I spent, I've honestly spent over $70,000 on my own coaching, training, seminars, workshops, mastermind, like you name it, books. I buy books like it's free candy. Like I get probably one to two books a week and I don't know when I'm going to find the time to read them all, but but the book you don't own, you can't read, and the book you don't read can't help you. And I love that because I even like I mentioned before, I've got my cousins living with me right now. They need somewhere to stay. And I've told them, I'm like, guys, one book can change your life. Like you don't have to spend 40 years figuring out how to accomplish X. You can just get the book someone wrote after doing it for 40 years and start from where they left off. It's that simple. Like it's, it's actually that simple. Like just pick up the book, read it and then go, Oh, you still have questions. Well, let's get you in a course or a program. You know, Oh, you need more handholding. You're really unclear. This is really important to you. Well then let's get you a one-on-one -on -one coach. Let's get you in a mastermind program. You know what I mean? Like let's, so I think that's really, really good feedback. And I hope people listening understand that. Of course you have to vet the people that you're going to work with, but you know, you may have to do it yourself, but you don't have to do it alone. I think that's a fantastic point. Absolutely. Any other major challenges you felt you had to overcome? When you're an entrepreneur, 
people who are nine to fivers don't get it. <laughs> so <laughs> when you are leaving behind friends and family, you know, because the thing is you share an idea, I'm going to do this and you're all excited. Oh, that'll never work. Oh, how can you do that? Oh, my friend had a business and they failed at it. And you really need to be comfortable leaving people behind who don't, who no longer fit with where you want to go. I'm very future directed. And I'm not saying to cut people totally out of your life, but realize that you need to look ahead to where you want to be, where you're going, and find people that are already doing that and start to build relationships with them. Mm -hmm. And this also mm -hmm. doesn't happen overnight mm -hmm. because I know that you know, when I first started my speaking business and it was really taking off and I was showing a lot of success, I had a lot of people that wanted to sit down with me over a cup of coffee and learn everything that I did to become this, you know, famous speaker, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'd sit down and, you know, share with them exactly what I was doing. And I would notice their eyes were starting to glaze over. over. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew, oh, my goodness, this is a total waste of breath. This person will do nothing. Yep. So it's frustrating from that standpoint because there's no easy button. The only easy button there is is like sold at Staples. Yep. You know? yep. So, yeah. They actually do have the that. easy button. You can go buy they an do. easy button at Staples. Yeah, and I have one. Yeah, and then it broke. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you mentioned that too. Like that, it's actually a huge pain point for me. I actually insist on people paying now. Like, if someone says they want to buy me lunch, I'll go I'll tell you what. This is my hourly rate. Why don't you pay that and I'll buy you lunch? Because I find that by giving people free information, they don't value it because there's no investment. I've given, I've had clients pay me for information that was like a couple thousand dollars for them, and they went and implemented it, and maybe ten, twenty, fifty, hundred thousand plus dollars. And I've given, I've given the same. I actually remember a specific day. I gave a tip to a client that was paying me on one of our coaching calls, and then afterwards I went to a restaurant and I gave the owner the exact same tip, and he just like brushed it off. He's like, yeah, I don't know, you know. And that client that I had, they literally turned that around into seven thousand dollars within thirty days, and it was like. Like, what's what's the difference? And it was the commitment. And I, I, I totally get what you mean. They, they want to see it, but then when they, they understand the work that goes into it, their eyes glaze over it, which is, I think, and why it's important that you do what you love, right? Because right. you have to put – it takes work. You have to be invested in what you're doing. Right. And I've, I've switched a lot of that to when somebody reaches out to me because, again, I don't want to be rude, but I'll say, you know, let's schedule a short phone conversation. You know, come up with the questions that you have. And I put a disclaimer on it. Don't ask me any question that you don't really want the answer to um, because some <laughs> people do that. They want affirmation. They don't want the truth. Right. And, and every once in a while, I have somebody that, you know, that I sit down with and I tell her what to do and she does everything. And I tell you, the, the one person out of all the, I don't know how many that I've done this with is took, did everything. And mm -hmm. now she's become one of my closest friends. We, we are accounted, we're accountability partners. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, and we talk literally every Monday. But the thing that she did different is she wasn't asking Lisa, gimme, 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 gimme. She took the list. She started implementing it. She said, oh, I did this and I did this. And I saw that she was working towards it. So then, you know, I'm helping mm -hmm. her more and she's giving back. And it's a two-way street because even though I'm at a different level than her, she sees things in a different way or I'll run something by her and she'll give me she her – 
opinion and she gets it and she's a person that you know is just as likely to celebrate with me she doesn't get mad she doesn't get jealous because you know i closed a big deal and she's not there yet but by the same token on the days where i need to be talked off the ledge she's there for that too (laughs) and sometimes with very colorful language (laughs) right 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 but you need that right that's your i love what you said about having to disassociate because that's so true if you had to think like you maybe grew up with a group of friends you know and you never you know grew up same town i mean my younger adopted brother is a great example he's a great guy you know he grew up same town same mom and dad same house same circle of friends same hobbies same neighborhood but the reality is, is he's kind of been struggling lately, and I've watched him. So he's he's into 10-pin bowling. You know, the, my, my whole adopted family is really into 10-pin bowling. And they're really into 10-pin bowling and golfing. That's, like, their thing. You know, you can, anyway, I'm not so into it, but it's fine. We have, like, a flow. It all works. But one of the things I've noticed for him is in the last three years, his friends have changed. They've all changed. And he's driving, in, like, to other cities to hang out with other people now because he's really trying to make it as a professional bowler. He's tried out for Team Canada a couple times. He's been doing it since he's two years old. He can, like – he. You know, he's got 20-something years of experience in it. He's, you know, he's good. He's bowled, like, a perfect game 300, like, seven or 12 times. It's, like, ridiculous. Wow. He, just, he just did it last fall, like, three three times in one month. Like, you know, he bowls, like, three or four nights a week. So it's, like, he's on it. But it's the same thing. If you're trying to make it to the Olympics, if you want to be an Olympian judo fighter or a cross-country skier, you're not going to get there hanging out with your buddies, smoking dope, playing video games, right? Like you right. have to change. You are the average of the people you spend your time with. So I love that you mentioned that because it's not that you're better. It's not that those people are useless or anything. It's just that you need to be in an environment that's optimized for accomplishing X. Like you need – that's almost something I think that's a real key for people is you have to find something that you do that really resonates with your existence and your being because you need to like align your life – to that more and more and more. I mean, I think that's probably the best way to get work-life balance. The best way to get work-life balance is to pick work that's more like play to you. And that way, when you do it, it's, you're just having fun doing it at the same time, you know, and you don't necessarily know till you go and try a bunch of things. That's the other part. So I just thought that was a really good tip and it might seem like a little bit, but I wanted to expand on it because I think for a lot of the listeners, they might hear that and it might just kind of go in one ear and out the other. And I think it's really important that you guys understand that you have to love what you do or find a way to do what you love and delegate the rest. And like you were saying, you have to, like you were saying, Lisa, you have to surround yourself with people that can get you where you want to go. You won't have the same friends. If you are making, you know, $30,000 a year now and you have, you know, your life changes, you figure out this vein, your business explodes, you start selling all this stuff and you start having a $3 million business or a $30 million business, you won't have the same friends that you had no. when you right at the bottom. And it's not because of anything other than that your friends just won't be able to resonate with with you like you know what i mean it's like it's like they say like a, when a mind once stretched never returns to its original shape you know the problems you will face the the challenges you will and the perspective you will have on things will change your ability to connect with those people and you'll just hang out with different people because you know you want to be people like you and understood and people that are going through what you're going through and you, it's so it can be a limiting factor if you don't put yourself in those scenarios so right. Great. Tip. Well, and it's a, yeah. And it's also the point that when you do close that deal, that's 30 million or 300 million or whatever it is, the people who weren't there when you were starving, they're going to look at you. Oh, that's just because he got lucky. She got lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I'm sorry. I worked really hard to get this lucky. And I remember when I was in sales, the years that I was absolutely starving, I 
failed miserably at my first couple sales positions and all of my friends were getting new cars and doing all this and I mean I'm literally you know think thinking goodness I wasn't eating cat food it was that bad right <laughs> and then when my again when my sales career took off when I started making a lot of money and reaching that level of success it was that they never real they never quote unquote remembered what I went through. Oh, you just got lucky. Oh, well, you got that medical sales position because you were lucky. No. Mm-hmm. Hello. I went to college for 14 years to get an MBA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> None yep. of this comes overnight. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Most people who are seen as overnight success, it took them 20 years to do that. Yep. Yep. And the thing that I want to also put in there is that, again, if you love what you do you enjoy the journey and we talk about like landing these big deals and it's it's great when you get like a 50,000 or 150,000 or whatever seven figure contract signed that's a phenomenal thing but you you make money along the way you have ups and downs that's the entrepreneurial journey right so and the other thing that I tend to notice I've talked to a few of my friends and we feel like you know except for maybe a couple of resets people that I know that maybe didn't weren't so smart with the money that they made you don't really make less money you know, like once you learn how to live and get to your income to a certain level, you don't really make, you know, depending on how your money's made. And again, and depending on what you do with it. But I think generally in general terms, if you're like a carpenter and you start making, you know, go from making 30000 to 70000 you're never going to be a $30,000 carpenter again because you right. know how to, right? So it's it's a ladder to, be, to, to climb, you know, as far as if you're in an industry and the people at the bottom rung make 30000 a year and the people at the top rung make 300000 climb that ladder and enjoy the journey and just be smart. And I think a huge tip, especially for entrepreneurs, never spend more than 70 cents of every dollar you make. Never right. spend more than 70 cents of every dollar you make because you never know when you're going to need to have some sort of cushion. You never know when you're going to get hit with a huge tax bill. You never know when a lawsuit's going to come out of nowhere. You never know when you're going to need to invest in some sort of massive piece of equipment that you have no real need for other than now it's government legislation that you own it. Like you just never know when that stuff's going to happen. And if you're constantly maxed out or, or overboard, I, I've been pre- preaching this for a couple of years now. I'm actually becoming more vocal about it. Never spend more than 70 cents of every dollar you make and try to get ahead on all your bills. Try to get a month ahead on your cell phone bill, on your rent, on your car payments, on whatever. Try to get 30 days ahead if you can. Squeeze yourself intentionally one month so you got room to breathe in case, you know, and something hits a fan and you just, oh, I'm not paying bills this month. You know, because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's just, it's just, it's just a night, you know, same money just spent differently. Right. And that's the thing to really keep in mind, particularly at the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey, is that it is total ups and downs. You'll have a rockin' month or a couple rockin' months in a row, which is actually very dangerous at the beginning of a career because you think that that's going to continue. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get that cold slap of reality that, oh, no, where did all the money go? I spent it. I really love that 70 cents on every dollar. I was at a seminar last weekend and the gentleman said something, how many pennies are left, you know, at the end of each dollar. So it's the same type of thing of just really putting in terms of pennies because that's what it is. I'm saving 30 pennies for every dollar that comes in. You put it aside and then you have that cushion because at some point you will need it. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
That's right. You know, great, great, great tip. Great advice. I honestly think people listening to this, especially if you're in startup mode, you may want to go back and re-listen to it again and take notes just because there's a lot of nuggets in here. And maybe you feel like you've got it. So, okay, we're obviously the call's going to keep moving forward. But it's small hinges that swing big doors. Like it's these little things. Like it's not a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Like if, 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 you're, make, if you're living on whatever amount now and you make more than that next month, it's not really a big deal to make sure that you put 30% side right like again it's just a little thing it's just a little step and it can make the huge huge difference now lisa do you ever feel that anything was ever holding you back in your career that ever prevented you from stepping up and leveling up because you've probably leveled up a few times obviously from when you first started i've all you know what i've always been really really determined to move forward so like we talked about earlier i've always made a lot of investments in myself i think the fact that I'm uh, because I'm very future directed. I'm always looking at I get distracted by shiny objects. Ooh, that's pretty. Let's do that. Ooh, let that's pretty. Let's do that. So sometimes being a little bit more focused and, you know, getting one task done before beginning the next one, I have found that when I get off focus, when something else happens, and sometimes you just make decisions, life decisions. For example, today was supposed to be a day that I was supposed to be on the phone all day today. I have a bunch of follow-up calls. I had the meeting with you. I had another meeting earlier. But you know what? My great niece was born yesterday, and I wanted to see this precious little girl before she was 24 hours old. Mm -hmm. So this morning, instead of making my sales calls, I went to hold my great niece. And you know what? Sometimes you you have to also realize that there is life outside of all the work. Mm-hmm. The phone calls await. Mm-hmm. You know what? My niece being one day old, this was my only opportunity to hold her when she was one day old. Mm-hmm. So that – and I don't let that happen very often. And by the same token, I also know that – I don't do my business at the expense of my family. Yeah. Yeah. It's to enable you. You know, I think this is a great time to bring up. I I mentioned this a few times on this show, but I found an article in a newspaper. Actually, my stepdad, adopted dad, found it and and cut it out. And I just love it. And I keep it. And I always actually look at it. And it's top regrets of the dying. So they surveyed these nurses that have worked in palliative care for over 40 years. And they try to get like, what are the top regrets of people that are on their way out? And they came up with three, five things. The first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Next is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard, which is what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. that would be a regret. I didn't get to hold my great, it's great grandniece? Grand, yeah, great niece. Great so niece. my niece's, my right. niece's daughter. That's so, that's so awesome. To have like three generations in one room, that's so awesome. Ugh. And she's right? perfect. She's just beautiful and perfect. <laughs> I so I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish that I had let myself be happier. And, you know, we only got one life. You don't really know where it's going. We don't, you know, there's a lot of people making promises about what happens when it's done. And some people saying we get to do it again. But really all we know is there's a start and a middle, uh, you know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And so, you know... I've lived poor and I've lived rich, and I, I definitely think I like having money better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but that being said, like you said, it's there's more than just about work, and that's – yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. So what are some of the habits that you've developed? 
Oh, sorry. What were you going to say, Lisa? Oh, no, I was going to say, but the thing is that it's it's finding your passion. I never feel like I'm actually working. I mean, even if I'm making even if I'm making cold calls, you know, the bane of the salesperson's existence, I still have fun with it. You know, it's when you love what you do that much, it it never feels like work. So when I was listening to the list that you just read, I'm feeling pretty good about it because the one way that I, I've really focused on living my life is no regrets. Mm. I don't want to regret, you know, not doing things. I, I take a lot of risks. I do a lot of things. I mean, I just go for it because I the pain of regret is always worse than the pain of failure. Right, right. You can suffer the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, but you cannot avoid them both. Right. That's a quote yep, that I love, love that. so much. But I mean, I'm fully on par with you. So do you feel that there's any habits that you've developed that have helped you be – I mean, you mentioned that you've got your sales calls in the morning. Like, Do you have routines or rituals or habits that you felt you've developed that, that you can attribute to some of the success that you're having? You know, this – yes. Then this is completely off of anything that we've been talking about, but the my gratitude journal, the journal that before my feet hit the ground in the morning, that I take that journal and I write down five things that I'm grateful for. Mm. I started doing that in 2009, and that's why my life is the way that it is today. I mean, and that's how I became a gratitude expert. That's why my employee engagement that I work with organizations is all based on creating a foundation of appreciation in the workplace. Mm. It all stems from that daily practice of looking for the good. And so I started my journaling practice and it's, and it's five sentences. Okay. So don't get all weirded out by journaling. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for five sentences, but it was a year almost to the day after that, that my position was eliminated via group conference call, like I said, and you think about the economy in 2010, not good. Okay. So I could have been like all the other people wallowing, you know, handing out resumes like Texas Hold'em. Here, hire me, hire me, hire me, hire me, <laughs> you know, or because I asked myself the question, what can I find to be grateful for in this situation? I knew that I was given an opportunity to do something I'd wanted to do for 20 years, and that was to become a professional speaker. So. That gratitude practice of constantly looking for the good, it gets me through the challenges. It, it helps me pick up the phone because I can be grateful for successful calls. I can be grateful for the fact that I made calls. I can be grateful for the fact today that I went and held my niece instead of making calls. But that, I think above all else, that single practice of discipline of taking those five minutes first thing in the morning for me and setting the tone for my day has made a remarkable difference, just like it has with all the people that have been through my different programs. And I talk about the benefits of a gratitude journal and the ones that take my 30-day challenge of doing that, writing down three to five things a day for 30 days. It makes just a huge difference. Huge difference. That was, yeah, yeah, really changed my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to be a testimonial for you, even though we've never done business together in the set fact that that's huge. It's so huge. I was reading about the power of positive thinking, I think it was last summer. And, you know, some people, 
actually, there's even a new book that I've been reading now, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential. And a big thing, it's, it's, it's all about mindset, that there's people that are growth mindset and there's people that are fixed mindset. There's two types of mindset. And so the, grow, the growth mindset, they look at failure as in like, oh, this is just now. It's not where I'm going to end up. But fixed people look at single events as defining, as like, like a static thing. Like you either are like, you've, you know, and even the same thing, like we talk about the ups and downs as an entrepreneur. Like you might land a seven-figure deal. But it doesn't mean you're successful. Like, all right, you did that. What are you going to do next? You know, and so that mentality is huge. And I think I liken it to there was when I, I lived in San Diego for a time and I was driving on the I think it was the I-5 and I was headed. I was actually in Encinitas headed into San Diego and there was a car accident that happened literally right in front of me. These three cars. I don't even know what happened. One car was on the right. One car was on the left. And there was this other car was spinning and like between the two. And I remember this car accident happened in front of me. I just see the puff of smoke. I see this car spinning and I. I didn't think I didn't, and I, I attribute this because I've been in martial arts. I attribute this to I just swerved around it. I just I had to I literally had to make an S an S shape, like to get wow. around all the cars. And I'm going like I'm going 60, 80 miles an hour, right? Like, vroom. and after I was like, how? And it was just it was almost like if I didn't, you know, talk about getting into flow. That was a moment in my life where I felt like I was in flow for that second. And I think what you talk about being gratitude, it's like that. It's not that when you're grateful or you think positively that bad things don't happen. It's that you don't waste time and you don't create friction by looking at anything other than the exit. Right. You know what I mean? And the exit in the way that you want to go, right? Because there might be three exits, but two of them might lead off a cliff, right? So anyway, I just think that that's – because some people are like, but that's all we wooey-woo-foo thing. And, you know, no, and I agree. it's not. You can't it's close so your eyes. not. Yeah. You can't be like, there are no weeds. There are no weeds. So, okay. So gratitude is a huge thing. I know that that's been life-changing for me. Sincerely, it's a simple thing. Small hinges swing big doors. So right. Well, and the, and I've done a boatload of research because when I first started keeping my journal, and I noticed the impact that it had on me, I asked, "Well, is this just woo-woo, fluffy stuff, or is there more to it?" And there is so much research. Actually, you know, Berkeley at the Greater Good Institute at Berkeley, boatloads of research. But you know, if you are thinking that this is oh, just fluffy spiritual stuff, do the research yourself see the benefits of that people that keep a gratitude journal they're 25 percent happier they complain less often they experience fewer physical ailments they're more happy joyful you know and the people associated with them notice a difference you know it, it's just there's so much behind it but if you never take the time to do it yourself you'll never experience those benefits that's right yeah hands down so what do you see are some of the greatest mistakes you see your clients and other entrepreneurs making, whether it's trying to handle their employees or clients or trying to – maybe these are three separate questions, but I want to know, like – because you obviously have a wealth of experience. So I want to know what are kind of the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to with dealing with their employees, dealing with clients, and then also approaching speaking as a career. Well, dealing with dealing with employees is not – showing them appreciation, not showing that they're contributing, that they're a valuable part of the organization. Simple things, saying thank you, being specific, you know, what gets recognized gets repeated. And when they look at high-performing teams, there is a research study that shows on a high-performing team, it's a six-to-one positivity ratio. So for every one negative thing that person hears, they hear at least six positives. And I'm not saying positives like, oh, Johnny, you're so great. 
great. You're so great. You know, Johnny, th- that idea, we can't really work with that specifically, one negative. But here's some of the good pieces of that that maybe we can, positive, positive, positive. So in communication with each other, we want to focus more on positive communication than negative. And like I said, thank you goes a long way. A lot of managers think that they don't have, why should I thank my employees? Isn't that what a paycheck's for? You know, (laughs) if you want them to do nothing more than what you're paying them for, then fine. Look at it that way. But if you want that employee to give you their commitment, their loyalty, their blood, sweat, tears, then they, they will do that when they feel acknowledged by you. So in the workplace, it's really creating that level of engagement, that connection, that culture that makes your organization the one that people want to work for. Mm, well what said. Was the next question? Uh, well, I just was asking about how stat, like, sorry, clients doing the same thing with them. So that's employees. But what are the biggest mistakes you see people? And because I, I mean, you talked about gratitudes. So how do we apply gratitude to and that was a great one for employees. How do we apply gratitude to with our clients? And then also just I guess some tips as, as president of the National Speaker Association for your chapter, you know, just some tips and strategies on the speaking career, I guess. Well, the mistakes is giving up too soon. I guess, you know, it's that persistence. I think that a mistake that people think when they're starting their own business, whether it be a speaking business or any business, is that they believe it's going to be much easier than it actually is. Mm. Because they look at one of their friends who's an entrepreneur or a speaker and they say, well, that person can do it. Man, I can do it too. Or, you know, she makes $10,000 a speech or she makes $20,000 a speech. Man, if she can do that, I could make 10 and I'd only have to speak once a month. No, you can't. So, and a couple of years ago, I had a conversation. I had a girlfriend and her and I had, were, had both started our speaking business at the same time. And she has since left the business, gone back into corporate America. And I told her, I said, the only way that you can fail in this business is to quit. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, no, you, you don't always have a choice. I said, you, yes, you always, always have, have a, a choice. choice. You have a choice whether you're going to you know, move back into your parents' basement to save money to build a business. You have a choice whether you have to – you know, we always have a choice. The thing is that most people don't make those difficult choices to proceed with their dream. Because the thing is, I always wanted to be the last person standing Mm. of the Mm. person that persisted beyond what made sense for persisting. And that's when you, you can take it to the next level. When people are starting in business as a speaking business, I just, I kind of joke around, but not really. I say, okay, imagine the maximum amount of time and money that you think it's going to take to build a successful speaking business. And I'll give them a minute to process that. Okay, you got your numbers, the maximum that you think that'll take time and money. Okay, add a zero. Add a zero. Yeah, yeah, add a zero. (laughs) I was going to say double it, but add a zero is probably a better bet. Probably a better bet. Yeah, it's a safer bet. Yeah. And that's where you just have to be, you know, you really, I, I just love the whole concept. That's even part of why I want to do the interview, because you have to approach it all with a feeling and sense of gratitude. 
You have to be grateful and appreciate what you're doing. You have to be grateful that you get to do what you do. Because at any point, if you're not loving this, like I know everybody, like there's people selling get rich quick schemes and, you know, kick it on the beach to, you know, click a button and money flies in your bank account. And I've done it. I've built automated marketing campaigns that have done millions of dollars, you know, that have only needed a few staff. And I'm telling you, it's really hard to fake that stuff if there's no passion in it. Like passion is a, is a, is a mandatory ingredient. And yeah, we built that, but it was also built on the back of, you know, having a, a proven market and a proven product and someone that was passionate about helping those people. You know, if I just tried to slap some stuff together and set it up and write some scammy, persuasive words that are going to hypnotize you, like it just wouldn't work. It would not work. It would not work. I mean, that's the, again, I just love what you said because it's gratitude, such an important part in that, in that mindset. And again, it's the same life, same hours that spent in the day, you know, just like the money, it's just spent differently, just used a little differently, just a little tweak, make radical difference. So now, I guess, so what, well, I guess what's, well, you kind of already gave the best advice for speaking to add a zero. I was going to be like, what's the best advice for a speaker? But that was it, really. Like, well, you know what, and, and actually, if you want to speak more, and actually there's a book in the NSA, and this is a saying, but if you want to speak more, you speak more. What that means is at the beginning, I probably spoke for two years before I made before I got paid the first time. I spoke for every Kiwanis, every Rotary, every chamber, because what I was doing was seeing what resonates with people, what doesn't resonate with people. Build your skills, because if mm. you're going to have somebody pay you money, you have to be worth that money. Because yeah. if you're not worth it, word will spread and you will never get hired again. Yep. Join Toastmasters. Mm. Get your Get your skills down so that when you can put together a story, you can see the humor. But the thing is, at the beginning, the the question is not, I I won a Toastmaster contest once. How do I get paid to speak? No, the, the thing is to speak often enough and get good enough so that the end of one of your free speeches, somebody walks up to you and says, wow, that was awesome. How much would you charge me to come to my organization? Mm. And then you start to have, well, what is that dollar? And people will say, well, what fee should I say? And I always say, it's the fee that you can say without choking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's whatever you can look them in the face and not blink and say, yeah. And know, too, <laughs> that, that you have the talent to give that level. Right. You know, you're not going to go and say right off the bat, well, $10,000, because I can say that without choking. But then you you give a horrible speech because it's your first one ever. No, we build up to that, and we build right. up to that by getting in front of people over and over and over again. Right, which comes back to the confidence, right, and, and sales and being passionate. And then that's, that's what we mean, not just because you can bluff and play poker, but because you've got the confidence and the faith in what you provide and the value that it can produce for someone. One, that that's why you can say that price and look them blank in the face. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I think that was that's a good. Thank you for adding that because it might give the wrong impression. Sometimes I take things for granted, like especially because I'm such I'm a marketer. I'm so much focused on marketing and sales. You know, it's it's a given that you got to have a quality product. You have, to, especially in today where social media and it's so, like news travels so fast. You just can't you can't hide anything. You can't hide like some of the guys that are teach some of the guys that are teaching how to do things. You know would have decimated themselves if they had had social media and things like YouTube around today. 
you know, because they, they could just travel. They get on a plane, fly somewhere to a new country or a new state or whatever, you know, and leave that behind them. But you can't today. It follows you everywhere. So you have to have world class. And again, it comes back to being passionate about who you're trying to help and, you know, and the, and the industry that you're in. And, you know, maybe making boxes isn't the best industry. But if you can get in touch with who your customers are and you can become passionate about their lives and their challenges and their problems and like servitude. I, you know, I just came back from Asia, and I feel like like we have lost in North America. We have lost the culture of service in this culture to such a huge extent. I mean, and, uh, it's I don't I don't know if we have time. This is your interview. I'm sorry if I keep going for rants because <laughs> it's supposed to be your interview, and I'm like, da, da, da. but I just think that that's such an important like it's just so important. It's about service. It's about having fun and and you know and finding passion in that. I don't know. Well, and it's, but the thing is, when it comes to service, see, that's what differentiates you. I had the program that I did yesterday was the opening keynote and the re and I applied or was asked to speak for the same organization two or three years ago. I don't remember, but they were looking at a couple different speakers. I was one of them. They did not choose me. And I don't even remember it, but that's my practice. I sent her a thank you note and I said, well, thank you for considering me for this opportunity. And I'd love to work with you in the future, something like that. This one, And I don't even remember sending it. But the woman came up to me after the program yesterday and she said, you know, when we were looking at you a couple years ago, along with the other speakers, and even though we chose to do went, go a different direction with a different speaker, you were the only speaker that sent us a thank you note for not hiring you. And mm-hmm. that's why you're here today. Mm-hmm. So when you can go, the fact that that service is lacking in this country, that becomes a point of differentiation. Mm-hmm. Give the very best service that you can possibly give and you will stand out so far above your competitors that they're that they won't have any way to compete with you because you're the one that is giving and giving and giving right. and and getting the benefits of that return yep i i agree a thousandfold a thousand percent just yeah i mean because people want value people want to be cared for and nowadays people don't want to work a lot of people don't want to work so and for the people that are feeling that this sounds like a lot of work i want to emphasize something that we haven't quite we touched on it but you know business is about building teams as well that's something to think as well like when you quote someone a price on something it's not just money you're getting it's the money it costs to get the job done and to do it well and to do it right and to do it where nobody is looking is looking to cut corners or do a half-assed job or you know get a job elsewhere cuz it's going to pay better it's like hey this is what's going to cost to have everybody do it and have everyone feel like properly compensated and to do it, you know, thoroughly to the end. And that's something to consider as well. Cause when you're an entrepreneur, the business owner, and I think this is a hard lesson for a lot of people to get. I love this. I had, we had a guest and a friend of mine, he, he did this on the call and I've been doing this for him is Brad Martineau. Hold on. Definition. I always love looking this up, but when you look up the meaning of entrepreneur, it says a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. What it doesn't say is the person who answers the phone, mops the floors, does the bookkeeping, right? Does the sales calls, yep. delivers the product, <laughs> does the graphic design, does the social media. Like that's not how it works. And so that's when you're pricing. Well, how much do I charge? You have to incorporate that into it. It's yep. about the team. So, And I, that gratitude thing I think is so important because also a lot of entrepreneurs struggle. Like that's a big lesson itself. A lot of entrepreneurs are not necessarily team players. They can be, but it's not always the case, right? They're more solo workers. That's why they're entrepreneurs. 
in a certain respect, as opposed to because if they were followers in any respect, and that, not that to be on a team you have to be a follower, but they'd be more likely to join and partner with somebody else in something, right? To be an employee or to be a shareholder in something. But if you're like a self-employed or a freelancer or you're staking it out on your own, you know, you, you tend to want to do it your own. And then you forget to give other people credit and recognition and people crave recognition more than money. And so that point that you made, I think, is really valuable. Hold on. I, wrote, I actually wrote this down because I loved how you said it. You said what gets recognized gets repeated. And I think that's really, really, really important. It doesn't mean people don't make mistakes, but it definitely shows where your focus should be. Right. And the thing is that that goes either way. When you recognize bad behavior, you get more of that, too. So when you're recognizing good behavior, be very specific instead of just saying something like, hey, great job. You know, thank you so much for spending that extra 20 minutes with Mrs. Smith taking care of her problem. You know, you handled it beautifully, whatever it is. But that's how people know that you're paying attention because you're Mm -hmm. being specific in your praise. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's not like generally like great job. It's like, hey, you did a great job when you did this instead of this and how you. Yeah, because now it's so specific. I love that. Again, you notice them. You recognize them. There's that recognition again. So that's awesome. Lisa, I love – yeah, this is great. So where do you see the future trends of the industry going as far as speaking and and I guess, yeah, in general? Where do you see the future of it going? Well, there's a lot of – there's so much opportunity. Back in the day, you know, the National Speakers Association used to be all about keynoters. It was all about, you know, the keynote speaker, the well-paid keynote speaker. And you really don't see that. There's very few people that make their living 100% from keynotes. We're now looking at, you know, the TED style of talking, seven minutes to 18 minutes because of our shorter attention spans. We're looking at a lot more opportunities to use technology like Zoom and have webinars and different opportunities to connect with people face-to-face so it feels like you're sitting in the same room with them and you can do programs that way. I've had speakers that haven't been able to make it to an engagement and they will do a presentation via an online connection. So we're open to technology and I will tell you, and I was going to say this a little bit earlier, but if you're starting a speaking business, make sure that you have a website. Start getting video. If you are, even if you're speaking at a chamber talk or a free talk, set up your iPhone in the back of the room and capture it because people are going to check you out. Every person that calls me for a speaking engagement, the first words out of their mouth is, oh, I just watched your video. I thought that you'd be the perfect fit for this. They've already checked you out. So if they go and they can't find anything about you or you have crappy video online, you're not going to get hired. So make sure that what you're putting out there, that number one, you're putting content out there, write blogs, have a, a some kind of weekly connection, some kind of weekly video, do things to just get good content out there. Now, even from a publishing standpoint, so many platforms that you can self-publish or use Vanity Press or, or do like hybrid publishing, but get your book out there. Again, building the credibility that you have. And the key is that there, we have so many different options now being open to them. But again, coming back to the ones that work the best for you. 
you know, I have a biz TV show. I have episodes that come out twice a month. I do some things with video. I generally capture. I have a new website that I'm working on right now on reformatting it. But my the website that I have now, it's fine. It's been doing well, and now I've had this website for probably three years or so. It's time for the next upgrade. Mm, mm, mm. Right, but at least you've got, you know, I'm, I forgot to mention this before, but that's I always say this is the thing a monk will never tell you is that movement is better than meditation. Because at least if you make some movement, you'll get feedback, whether it's good or bad, and then you'll know how to adjust, and you'll keep moving forward. But if you sit there meditating, you'll never know. So this website's been great, but like I say, now it's time to update it. But guess what? You have a ton of data. You've got, you know what I mean? You've taken out, you know what you do like, what you don't like, you know what you wish your site did, and you know what I mean? So that's, yeah, that's a great key point. And I think that it's true. You know, it's it's amazing. And people don't even understand. I think it's hard for us to predict where the future is going to be in 10 years, but it definitely gives us a point in the right direction because we're all so connected right now. There's no reason why we can't continue a conversation. You're in a room talking with someone. Yesterday, I was in a room talking with my cousins and I went to take the dog out for a walk. We carried on the conversation because we had a group chat on Skype or on Facebook. And so I'm like, I'm sending them video and audio and the conversation didn't end even though I physically left the room. So it makes sense that they would use things like webinars and video conferences and things like that and that that's kind of how it's leveling the playing field i guess and then information is i guess the floor in information has dropped out like information is cheap but it's the implementation so i guess when you get these speaking gigs for corporate it's like what can you do for them you're not just going to come in and talk you're going to motivate people to do something you're going to help implement it sounds like with even with you you have a 30-day challenge you have an implemented strategy i'm going to come in talk to your team we're going to do x to produce y result right and that's what they want they want actionable ideas there's no you're not seeing a whole lot anymore of the pure motivational keynote you know of all the fluff it's entertaining but meeting planners want that lasting effect Um, they also want a lot more engagement and audience interaction we don't we're not sitting there and just listening to the sage on the stage anymore for an hour you know that you're seeing a lot more interactivity when it comes to keynotes as well one thing i started doing about a year ago that's paid off huge is I stopped using PowerPoint in my presentation Mm. because I figured and how I tell that to the meeting planners because I figure number one these people are sitting through three days of PowerPoint after PowerPoint after PowerPoint and I come in without one and it's like woohoo this is awesome Because I tell the meeting planners, you know, when you don't have, when you have PowerPoint, the program goes in the order that the slides dictate. If you don't have PowerPoint, it goes in the order of the conversation the audience is looking to have. Right, 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 right. I love that. Yeah, it's become a two-way conversation. And if anything, that's what all these tools we've developed have done, have enabled us to communicate better. So it almost sounds like where people are like, oh, I wish I didn't have to talk to my customers and I could just sit on a beach and get drunk and sit in the sun and get fat and die of obesity and diabetes and heart disease. Really, you should be leaning in the other way, using communication tools to stay more engaged with your customers and get more direct feedback. Because that's stuff that you may have to do manually in the beginning, but at a certain point, what's his name? Claude Hopkins wrote a great book, Scientific Advertising. It's a great book. It's a must-read for anyone that's in business or in advertising. And one of the things he says in there is, let the thousands tell you what the millions will do. So I think by leaning in and having more conversations and more engagement with your customers, you'll find out that there's not a thousand things that people are having issues with. Eventually, you'll be able to categorize it and then delegate it, you know, and build a system and a process and then have somebody else step in and take it over. But that will give you an upper hand over your competitors that are kind of like, you know, that aren't leaning on the service side, like we mentioned. So 
I think this is great tips. We covered a lot of stuff here. We covered stuff from starting up, whether you're starting or launching a new product. We covered about how to basically keep morale and not even morale, but buy-in from your team on your company, like in your company and keep them tied to results. How to encourage to get more of what you want from your team members. How to keep your, how to keep your key, key clients in place. Talking about service and showing gratitude and how to have that be your key differentiator. We also talked about getting the reality of speaking today and that really anyone can be a speaker. If you have a mouth, you can be a speaker. And so what's different is how you use it. How are, are you trying to boast yourself up and be, I'm so great, or do you really come from a place of servitude and knowing the pain points people have? Can you be grateful and are you passionate about what you do? Because that shines through and people can resonate that. Authenticity, you know, it doesn't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. You know what I mean? So I think when people are authentic and use these tools that it really, really does shine through. So Lisa, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or that we didn't cover that you wanted to share? Not really. I mean, we really covered a lot. I think that if if people would like to get, I have a, on my website, I have a gratitude thought of the week, mm. which I like to refer to as a short inspirational message that seems to show up when you need it. It comes out on Thursdays. <laughs> I love that. But that's at my website at gratigy.com, which is G-R-A-T-E-G-Y.com. And you just sign up and that will start coming. But it's, it's really, I think out of everything, it has to start with us of what is our passion? What do we love to do? What, what do we do that makes time fly by and put that into a terms that, that businesses will pay for so that we can build a sustainable business out of it. I love that. And that's so well said. So well said. Lisa, I'm so grateful for you coming here and sharing with all of us today. Can you? What's the URL one more time? Gratigy, G-R-A-T-E-G-Y dot com, as in gratitude strategy. Got it. Gratigy.com. So obviously, Lisa knows what she's talking about. She's been in this game a long, long time. If you have issues with employee engagement or you want to try to keep your customers, if you have an issue keeping customers as long as you think you could or fighting off competitors to, to have your customers choose you over them, or if you're involved in speaking and need some tips and tricks in that, please go check out Lisa's website at gratitude.com. And I would honestly just encourage you to go check it out anyways because gratitude, I mean, I love that it's a daily gratitude thing. Religions borrowed that forever to have a morning prayer. I mean, that's been the secret. It's not, you know, there's no magic to it that's beyond just that it's that programming your mind. So I think that's a really powerful message. And I'm just very grateful, Lisa, that you took some time out of your schedule and from your family, obviously, the growing family you have, to be and share with myself and my audience today. So thank you on behalf of them and myself for your time and for sharing and for just being open. I like that. You are very welcome. Hmm. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. 
and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.